Anybody else? What? Anybody has a, a, a topic that you want to share or you want to talk? Uh, Sergio? Uh, yeah. If I can, hi everyone. Uh, sorry if my English is not perfect. I'm I'm Portuguese. I already was in the in the previous talk with the Spanish coaches. Uh, just going in a bit uh, to what Dale and everyone else was talking about. Uh, first, just a small thing about the kids that are not uh, they don't have too much attention and they, they don't believe in themselves because nobody else gives them that that belief because nobody else shows that they believe in them. I think it was uh, Wayne Goldsmith that talked about uh, doing the hard stuff every day until you get used to it. Um, I actually found out that those kids are sometimes the ones that are more propensed to do the hard stuff and get used to the hard stuff. And by hard stuff, we mean like getting up early in the morning, getting ready for practice, uh, going every day to practice with the mentality of trying my best. Even if it's not my best day, I'll just focus on something else. I cannot go fast. I'll focus on technique, whatever, whatever. Um, I found out that that carrot that you put in front of the kid sometimes is enough to create a champion that nobody else sees there not even us as coaches not even the kid themselves sometimes it's just a, a diamond that is under all that call and you just need to give them the chance to show up um, about assistant coaches and how to work with them I, i've been recently an assistant coach and even more recently a head coach with an assistant coach that was also my oldest swimmer i had a very small team my oldest swimmer was at european level he went to the short course europeans in december but he was four years older than everyone else on the team. Everyone else was 17 years and younger. Uh, he was my assistant coach, more a volunteer than anything else. And I had to help him out with coaching the younger kids. We had no, no other way of doing it. We didn't have much space at the pool. We had to divide the two groups. And at first, I just showed him the, the curriculum as you guys talked. I, I showed him what I wanted for the team. He knew as one of the swimmers in the oldest groups and as my top level swimmer, he knew what was supposed to be the, the, the final goal for the team, for the swimmers individually. So our focus was the foundation that uh, David, I believe, talked about, just foundation stuff for the younger ones, just foundation, foundation, foundation stuff. When they grow up, when they get to higher levels, they can do um, the proper stuff we want them to do without being worried about technical, easy things easy uh, that they should learn when they're younger on the other hand as an assistant coach uh, when i worked in in norway with a canadian lady that was uh, my mentor i found out that it was much easier and much not, not easier much better for me as a coach to learn that she she gave me the curriculum as well but she allowed me to just do it your way find your way i'll be there with you i'll be there for you if you need something but you find your own way and i i was able to find my way of working as a coach it worked for me perfectly anytime she didn't agree with something we discussed it she said well maybe if you tried it this way maybe try it that way and she also gave me the chance to give my opinion about her practices sometimes she would make me coach the, the more advanced levels sometimes she would coach my levels the younger ones which were between 11 and 14 year olds like like you dale and uh, I don't know if this helps you out in any way, but as an assistant coach and then a head coach that had to deal with assistant coaches, always in smaller teams and in European clubs. So it's a bit different, I guess, but uh, I hope it helps you out. It's just my, my two cents. Thank you. Thanks, Pedro.
know, uh, Dale, you, you're pretty, um, Dale is the type of coach that he's very analytical and he's always, he always has a plan. So I, I bet Dale, you have the solution. I really do. But uh, what's the next subject? Who wants to, what, what should we talk about? Anyone? Come on. We have 58 people in, in this room. I have, I have a question or a topic that um, I just I found recently in this uh, situation when I moved out here to uh, California, so I coach for Beach Cities, but I coach 11, 12, 13-year-olds, and I have a couple 12-year-olds that, uh, you know, they've got the goods to go do whatever they want in the sport of swimming, and my question is, is what is the best way to approach um, – letting them know that, you know, they're on a track that could take them to wherever they want in swimming, but at the same time without putting either filling their head and making them feel like they're the bee's knees or putting too much pressure onto the kid, you know, because ideally um, at that age, the fun should still be the main goal for them, for them age group swimming. But I've got like one boy and two girls that are light years ahead of some other kids in the, in the group. And it's getting to that point where I'm like, I might have to let them know that they're on and this sort of track. But I was just wondering to all the coaches out here, what would be a good way to go about that and not to, you know, put too much pressure on them or make them, you know, just, just help them guide them for say. I think it's really important when you're working with that age group to understand why they do what they do. And um, some of their, if we want to call it natural ability, um, they may not even be aware of and actually whether they're a future superstar or whether they're just doing it from a, an enjoyment factor and that will only be the reason they ever do it is actually just to understand as a coach why are they there because then when you're working with them on their journey, if even if they're on a path to going to you know, an Olympic Games, if for them it's all about fun, whatever level you're working at them, whether they're age group, youth or senior, that has to be central to everything you do and vice versa. If they say to you at 11 or 12 years old, I want to swim for my country. Well, that's, you, you know, you're on the same page. So I think it's just really important to understand the kids why at a young age. And as that, as they grow and develop as a person staying in tune with that, because then you're going to have a much more effective coach athlete relationship with them. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. I would kind of piggyback on that. I think he's Kevin nail on the head, but I also would look at it as how would you celebrate the success of a mid-range kid, like a kid doing a good job? Like, would you? I don't think there needs to necessarily be a distinction between the two. You celebrate what's great. You celebrate what's great, and you remind them of the good times when it's bad. Especially at the age group level, it that will limit those perceptions in their head of them thinking, "Oh, well, I I haven't made. I'm going to be great." Um, but it, at the same time, it's giving them credit where it's due. Uh, I think, you know, both excellent points. Um, and if you're not wanting to overload those younger kids, number one, always keeping it fun. I tell my parents and my kids, it's got to be fun, but fun doesn't necessarily mean playing games. Fun is doing sets you've never done before in practice, um, doing things you've never done before in a swim meet. But like I said earlier, I, I like looking two steps up ahead for each and each kid those two steps forward are going to be very different for your, your, your super stud 12 year old or so. It might be futures for somebody else. It might be 
the B championship meet, you know, down the road. Um, but I think that's one way where each kid can focus on their goals, but at the same time, you're still keeping everything pretty similar. You're celebrating all good, good deeds and, and good habits. Um, you're getting on bad habits and trying to get them fixed and, you know, you're not paying them any more attention just because they're faster, but everybody's trying to achieve, you know, two more steps. Um, real quickly, I've got to go, but thank you guys, everybody, uh, for this and Sergio, thank you for putting it together. Um, great. Learned a lot. Look forward to the next one. Bye. Bye, John. Jack, I wanted to, um, go ahead. Dale. Jack, I want, I wanted to answer Jack just in, in terms of, I've also had those periods of times where you see that and you pull the parent aside and you tell the parent, um, you know, this, this is something special going on. And sometimes that backfires. That's, that's, it's a, you know, there's a lot of times where I regret letting a parent know that their child was on a nice track uh, because it changed the entire dynamic. It changed their social media posting. It changed uh, uh, their boasting among other parents. Um, um, they, it changed how they went out to look for additional services uh, for their child beyond what we were offering. Um, so, uh, it's, it's, I think keep it within your team, keep that celebration within your team, that flowing within your team, um, as, as best you can. Uh, you had talked about having that conversation with the child. Um, that's an area where I've got to get better at is, is being honest with the child on where they're at. Where do you want to go? But where are you at right now? Um, so that's an area that, that I'm going to seek for growth this season. But be careful in, in how you uh, have that conversation with, with parents. I think it's important to have that conversation financially. Uh, but in that, that early phase where the financial dollars aren't going to make a difference, uh, keeping it, keeping it ho-hum. <laughs> Uh, this is normal. Keeping it, this is normal. This is who we are. This is normal as best we can. I think uh, uh, following up with what Del said, I, I would have a meeting. I had a meeting with Ryan Murphy or with some of the – I would have a meeting with the parents and tell them that you think that uh, has certain ability. Uh, of the parents and those kids, they already know. But you have to set certain boundaries and things, you know, and, and make sure that – you tell them that it's not for them to be excellent at the age of 15. That their goal is to be excellent when they can be excellent at the age of 19, 20, 21, that if they can make the national team and look at the long term. And the long term right now for a 13-year-old kid is you're going to do just this, 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 and this. And you cannot go above and beyond that because it's going to hurt the development of, of your son or daughter. You know, yeah. Try to explain this, the different steps they you're going to have to take. And to the kid, just treat the kid like the other, other kids in the group. You know, just coach them the same way, you know, help them out the same way. They're going to keep swimming faster. You know, they're going to teach you what they can do in the future. But I think the parents, it's, it's slowly because the expectations are going to change too every year. But you have to educate the parents 
of what can happen in the future and how to manage it right now. And you cannot be afraid of that. And then later on, you have to sit down with the kid and you have to make sure that in a nice way, you say, hey, I believe you can do this and I believe you can do that, but it's not time for you to do that yet. But if we keep working slowly and we do this and we do that in the future, you know, maybe I'm not going to be your coach, but the next coach is going to take you maybe to the promised land. So I think, I think, I think, uh, you know, I know, I agree, Dell, it backfires more times than other than none. It doesn't, but I think you have to have that conversation if you think that those kids are good. And, and then be sure that sometimes you stop the parents from, they, they're posting too many things and this, you tell them, it's like, hey, this is not acceptable. You're hurting your kid more than you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. And maybe you lose the swimmer. Maybe you lose the swimmer. You know. I think from an athlete's perspective, like it's, we have a really unique opportunity as coaches to know how our athletes are motivated. And I remember when I was a young athlete, I really appreciated how my coach sat me down and went through kind of like little milestones leading up to Olympic trials. Um, and he knew like pressure doesn't really get to me that much. Um, and he knew that it, like it wouldn't be a big deal kind of talking to me about like, okay, if you want to get to this place, here's where you're going to have to make the cuts and here's how we'll train you for that. And he also knew about me that like, I like the logical progression and thinking through it. So I, I think it's just really a cool opportunity for us as coaches to learn even more about our athletes and stages like that. And like, what would really benefit them? Are they going to be an athlete who's going to freak out with the pressure? Maybe not say anything yet. Um, but I think it's just a really, it's like a sweet opportunity to get to really know them better too. Cool. Thank you. Well, that helps. Thanks guys. If I just say something, you know, I agree with her, uh, in, in every aspect of it, but I think the education, like, uh, like Serge said, the education of the parent is the most important part on it, you know, because the kid, if he loves it and he's doing good, he's going to continue in the path with your help or the help of the, of the coach who, who, you know, comes next. But it, I think the education of the parent is the important part because I find out I have swimmers sometimes that are doing really good. And as soon as they're doing even better and they're getting into those top swimmers, you know, the parents are the ones who start putting the pressure on the kid. And, and I think the education of the parent is when it becomes better. You know, it's, it's, it's a part that I think is essential for them to understand that if the kids is enjoying it, he's going to do better. But if they feel pressure, it's not going to be. So I, I agree with that with Katie and, and also Sergio. You know, the education of the parent is, is crucial in those parts. You know, as a coach, you got to look, the parents, we look at them as enemies most of the time. <laughs> you know, and, and, and we're afraid of the parents. And we have to look at them as our allies. You know, in most of the, of the clubs in the United States, we force them to be volunteers. We force them. If they, don't, if they don't volunteer, they have to pay. Well, they're already involved with the club, but if they see that you have a vested interest in the developmental and the development of, of their child, they, they're going to go to bat for you. They might not like what you tell them, but they're going to think about it, and most of the time, they're going to appreciate it, and they're going to change. You know, because, because that's what they want. They want relationships. You know, one of the things that we forget, what's the most precious thing that we have in life? Money, cars? No. Are the relationships that we create with people? Those are the most 
valuable things. Now I'm not that old, but the day I die, I, will, I, I you know, I, will, I would like to, to to know that I have great relationships with people. I'm not saying great friends, and that's the only thing that makes you feel good. You know, and the older you get, the more you appreciate those things. So the parents are the same thing; they want to have a relationship. Now, you have some very toxic parents, absolutely. You figure it out, kick them out of your team. Doesn't matter. But most of the parents want the, the best for their kids. So, create good relationships. I love what um, you said as well, keeping a long-term focus, Sergio. If you have, like, um, this year I had a girl who's 13 years old, and she was the youngest uh, Olympic trials qualifier, which was really cool for her. And Swim Swam did this article, and she was, like, on top of the world. But, um, but I still treat her like anybody else. Like, she's 13 years old. It's, we want her to be a great swimmer when she's 18, 19, 20, and, and, and beyond. And um, one conversation I had with her um, with that, she's taking it all really well, but she was a little overwhelmed at first. And I think something that's helpful is, um, one, don't shy away from the conversations like you guys were all mentioning, I think, with the parents and talking about their potential and sitting down with the athlete and setting. I think it's important to have dream goals. Um, so she, you know, like this girl, for instance, um, she broke Missy Franklin's record for 13-year-olds, and it's like, that's awesome, but what's next? Let's dream higher. Let's dream bigger. Let's think bigger. Like, you always want to celebrate the milestones and the accomplishments, but then look to what's next and treat them just like you would any other athlete. Um, and then keep the, at least for me, like, I think it's always helped keep the main focus on the character because, like, we care less how fast they are if they don't have any character because eventually at some point, you know, that talent will only take you so far. You have to have character that, um, that you can build on. And so we talk a lot about what are the things that got you here and shout those things out rather than shouting out, Oh, you know, they went this time and they qualified for this meet and they set this record. Definitely recognize those things, but focus more on the character and the things that got them there. And I think if you have that established, then it doesn't matter how far they get. If your character is always the focus, then um, I don't think you can go wrong with that. Thanks, Eric. I also think that goals, setting up goals is, a, is a great. It's very important. But also we need to teach the kids how goals are very dynamic. You know? How many of you thought that you were going to be a doctor or engineer or something else and now you're a coach? You know? And probably you're loving life more than if you were the other. You know? And goals have to be in a way dynamic and there's many things that happen in life that you're going to transform those goals, you know, uh, and, and that's a very important thing to teach the kids at a young age. It's like, and, and how to accept that you had this goal at the beginning of the season, you were on track, something happened, and your goal was here, and you just got here, it's okay, you know, and how to deal with that, so the next time you can be higher, you know, and, and that's something that, that we need to teach the kids, that goals are, goals are great to have, but they have to be flexible too and they have to be dynamic in a way. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's important because we get fixated on goals and the kid is like, oh, I, you told me that I was going to make junior nationals and I was going to make junior nationals and they, they miss junior nationals by three tenths of a second. And then they're so upset at you and they're so upset at the world that they, they don't want to go back to training. So you have to figure out how to make those goals like – that they can, you know, that the kids are flexible to understand that hey, it's okay. 
I, I fought for that, but I got this, and I now I'll move on to the next one. You know, makes sense. So, but what, what else? Come on, guys. Um, hey, uh, I work at uh, at Florida State. My name's Nick. Nice to meet you guys. Um, how would you guys say that you start to differentiate? training between uh, men and women or do you at all? I, 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 I'll say something, uh, you know, uh, I think many times you have to separate men and women, you know, even though, you, you know, even if you practice, uh, if you do the same practice, you know, I think, and more, you can see it more at the college level, but also in the age group level. And we did that at balls many times, you know, we separated the kids, the, the girls in one side of the pool, the guys in the other side of the pool, and the coaches rotated, maybe one day a week for a while or whatever, or maybe at a certain for certain practice. Because when you have, like for me, you know, when I had 100 kids on the pool deck and I have a, a freshman that's 14 years old, that she's very good, but then you have these 14, the 17, 18 year old kids that they're ruthless they're not that good but they like to push people down those girls are afraid to perform at a high level so what's important is to separate them sometimes and give them their own um ownership of the group and you know and when you separate the girls and, and the boys uh, uh, you know you have some pretty good practices i don't i'm not an advocate to separate them all the time because we don't I think we practice 90% of the time all together, but sometimes it's very important to separate them and give them the, their own identity. I think it's, it's, that's a very good, important thing. And I would do that for any age group. You know, men and women think differently. You know, you go to a championship at the college level, you go to the NC2As for the women, and it's all about singing, and dancing. To the NCA for men, and it's all about, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a different environment. So it's the same thing with young kids. You know, so I think it's important. No, but, okay. Go on. Um, yeah, Sergio, I actually had a question not to um, kind of take away from what we were just talking about, but kind of what you said about goals earlier. So I had an athlete this past season, he came, so he had this goal of qualifying for his big championship meet, um, age groups for our LSC up in New England, and he came like second half away, no matter what he did, kid did all the right things, you know, he went to practice, was there on time every day, followed directions, always gave his best, and just, for whatever reason, just kind of came up short. I was just wondering if you or anyone else in the chat kind of had some, like, you know, like, how do you put that into perspective in the sense? Because, again, like, he just did everything he needed to do, but for whatever reason, just couldn't really get to the end goal. I would say, you know, it, it, maybe at the young age it's a little bit more difficult, but it's, it's life. You have to teach him to have, to have a good perspective. The most important thing is that they, were, they work hard and they were honest. And, you know, when we get older, we do the same thing and we don't – get always what we want, you know? Mm -hmm. And the, the most important thing is teach them how to never give up. If you really want something, you can cry for five minutes, you know, and you can be disappointed. You have the right to do that. 
But I think the important thing is standing up and saying, okay, I'm going to brush it off and, and, and I'm going to do it. Like I'm going to give you an example. of I came from a family. I didn't have a dad. My father, my father left when I was three years old. I grew up in a dictatorship, uh, the last eight years of a pretty tough dictatorship. So my mom worked two, three jobs. She had no idea about swimming. I started swimming when I was three years old. I was a horrible swimmer. Right? I, was, I was the top three from the bottom of any competition that you could go. You know, um, and one of the things that later on my mom told me, you know, uh, when I was 28 years old and, you know, I went back to Spain after being a professional athlete, I, I wanted to start coaching in Spain and it was a, a very bad situation. So I sold my house and uh, I spent a month with my mom and I was very depressed because I'm 28. I've been out of my house since I was 18 and now I'm depending on my mom, you know, and my mom told me, this is what she said, you know, Sergio. When you were so young and you would train so hard, you wanted to be so good and you went to competitions and you really were pretty bad and you were the last in the you would always cry for five minutes. Right? And then the next day, you would be back in the pool trying to be better. I had no clue. I didn't understand that. But that's the motivation. This is what my mom told me because my mom is the biggest example that I had in my life. She said, that, you taught me how to never give up and try to make sure. That's why I had two jobs, three jobs, and I, I did everything possible. So you, your sister, and your brother had whatever you guys needed to be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's about teaching, teaching the kids to appreciate everything. You know, for me, when I was a kid, maybe intrinsically or whatever, because I spent a lot of time by myself, swimming was the best thing that happened in my life. And even if I could cry for five minutes of disappointment, or I could be for one day all upset because I didn't reach my goals. But, you know, somehow I learned that the next day I would go to the pool and I would try to get better. And that's something we got to teach the kids because you want to be an Olympic champion and you might only go to the state meet, but then you're going to have the same type of goals, being a lawyer, being a janitor, being a parent, and you're going to have many disappointments along the way. So how can you talk to the kid to understand that that's part of life. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, and on top of that, I want to hit two things. One, as long as you're rewarding the efforts, you know, the daily efforts and the efforts at competitions, I mean, that, that's got to be a huge piece of the action as opposed to the result. The kid's doing a great job and they're hitting their goal times, they're hitting everything. But if they're not giving out the effort, they don't necessarily need to get the, uh, the reward on that. Mm-hmm. But if they're if they're giving out the efforts and they're doing things right and they're still missing, they're still getting the pat on the back. They're getting the reward, and that transcends that transcends um, you know results in the clock. The clock should not be someone's definition. It should not be defined by what the board over there tells me what I did. It should be defined basically by you know the effort I put out. Um, and so that's one way I I try to combat uh, those types of issues coming up. The other thing is, is I just wanted to jump back on the question that was about boys and girls uh, being together. And I know this is separate, um, but I do encourage separation between boys and girls, uh, kind of like Sergio was saying a little bit, you know, during the week here and there and at all different ages and sometimes together and sometimes they're apart. I found that especially uh, with young boys, and this is the reason I wanted to bring it up, uh, with young boys, 9, 10, 11, 12, a lot of time those guys are so much 
on less developed and less mature than girls. And I've, I've had a lot of success getting young boys to stay in the sport by keeping them away from girls that are just beating the crap out of them. Uh, when you're a 10 year old, nine year old, 11 year old boy, and you're stripped down almost naked into, you know, but looks like your underwear and you're thrown into a pool and then you've got uh, a bunch of girls just beating the tar out of you. It can be kind of demoralizing, but uh, you know, you take that same kid that, you know, throw him in a group of lanes with uh, a bunch of other pathetic scrawny boys and they just goof around and have a good time and act like a bunch of jack wagons. Uh, they love it. They smile and they have fun. And they come back the next day. So it can be a big confidence booster. That doesn't mean they're separate all the time, but it's just, I wanted to throw in that piece uh, just because I think it's, I think it's good for um, young boys and young girls to have sort of their own times together. So those are two quickies. Thanks, David. Anyone else? I'll yeah, um, go ahead. Jason, Jason Kalanak, if you'll take it. So, Jason, I know you are uh, not much, but I know you started your uh, your career with Sir, you uh, West Virginia, and then uh, you guys went to balls. And what what are some valuable uh, lessons you learned from you know, basically, you starting very early in your career, you having somebody like a Caleb Dressel. That you mm -hmm. were with like what are some lessons that are having somebody with that type of talent that you helped develop so well that early in your career um i think it all started you know at least for like caleb he had great group of coaches a lot of you don't know this but caleb swam for coach dale porter down there for many years he coached every single dressel sibling and he also got to coach caleb and i just happened to be i would think in my career, I always believed that I happened to be at the right place at the right time. You know, I truly believe that. And, um, you know, Caleb taught me a lot where I had to be think two steps or three steps ahead. Um, I'll never forget when he was 14 and we were at Junior Nationals in Austin. Um, he just went like 20.2, you know, as a 14-year-old. Obviously, that's super fast back then. Um, right after that meet, he told me, Jason, I want to be the first person to go 18 seconds in the 50 free in high school. And I was just like, Oh, okay. And that made, it pushed me to think at an even higher level. Um, one thing that I'll never forget that Sergio talked about when we first moved to bowls was how could we be in the top 25 at NCAAs with our high school team, with our club team? And that really motivated us because now it talked about relays. And when you have a lot of guys who can relays, you don't need four really good people. You just, you know, you don't need superstars. You can do that building it through a team of a lot of people. And those, those were some things that really motivated me. How can I get someone to be part of those relays, even though they're fictitious? You know, so by the time Ryan Murphy's senior year and Caleb and Santo and all those guys, we would have been 12th, you know, four years later. It's thinking about four steps ahead. And that really just pushed the team in general. Um, and then, you know, once I moved to another place and I happened to be coaching Shane Casas, a lot of you probably don't know who he is, but if there was an Olympic Games or, or if there was a Olympic trials right now, you would know who he is because he's, the, in my opinion, the next great superstar who's like a Caleb and all those guys. But the, one of the things that I learned from him now is – 
he's very similar to Caleb and some other guys where they aren't they, like Shane doesn't get into the pool first. He's always one of the last people, you know, that was the same thing with Joseph schooling. Ryan Murphy was always the first person. So all these superstars, all these swimmers have different ways of getting to the same place. And that's one of the things that I really learned that you can't peg everyone in the same way. Um, I coach Caleb a lot different than I coach somebody else, but we're still trying to achieve the same goal in the realm of things. But one of the biggest things that Caleb did when he, as a young person that he does really well, he would teach freestyle to a lot of the, his teammates. Um, and I would never have to ask him that. And that's something he did on his free will because it helped him teach about when he was teaching freestyle, it made him learn about freestyle even more. And that was one of the biggest things that I really took from him is, you know, he really took ownership of his swimming at a young age. And that's something Sergio teaches you at a young age to take ownership of your swimming because, you know, a lot of swimmers right now, they swim for scholarships, getting into college, mommy and daddy, blah, blah, blah. When they learn how to swim for themselves, I think that's something that I really learned that taking ownership of it was a huge part of it. So that, those are just simple things that I learned working from Sergio and working with some of the best swimmers in the world now, currently. Awesome. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Albert. Anybody else, guys? Uh, I guess kind of on the same topic, I had a question for like uh, high school level uh, club coaches, just more of a recruiting uh, question. How involved do most of you like to be in the process? Like what are some of the things that have been like uh, that you think college coaches could do better to keep you in the loop or, you know, things that are like nightmare situations like please stop texting me at whatever time of night it is. Like what do you see that uh, college coaches can do better as far as like building that relationship with you guys? I think it really starts and I was coaching college until this year and stepped back into club. And I think the biggest transition for me um, was letting, letting things go as far as like a lot of club coaches, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, aren't going to respond to you. Or if they do, they're going to be like, yeah, no, I have a dozen people that want to go. And then, okay, well, can I get contacts for them? And then you never hear from them again. Um, but I don't think like, and this was kind of my rule of thumb when I was coaching college and I might be right. I might be wrong. Um, there's a lot of people who have more college recruiting experience than me that are on this call that could probably correct me on it. But I would, I wouldn't stop emailing. I wouldn't stop reaching out until I was told not like, Hey, you know, I'm really not interested in hearing from you anymore. Um, and that's kind of my philosophy as a club coach is yeah, no, bring it on. Keep reaching out. If I, if I'm not holding up my end and I'm not sending you kids, then I'm not helping the sport anyway. Um, but that's, that's my two cents on that. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, I'll jump in on that too. Um, I was going to say, it, it seems to me like it can be very hit or miss. You have some college coaches that want to be very involved with the club coach and kind of find out a little bit more about how the athletes' habits are, how they're training. Um, and then I think you get some others that will tend to reach out and say, Hey, do you have a, you know, we're still looking for three or four breaststrokers, you know, do you have anyone? 
and we'll send them that list and kind of what Paul was just saying, you know, we'll give them that list and then we won't hear anything back. So I think if it's just more of an open dialogue, um, I know that I found more success getting kids to programs where that it does feel like a little bit more of an open dialogue and they, they know that, you know, we're going to get, we're going to do everything we can for our athlete and we're always going to be as honest as we can. Um, I mean, I always tell my kids if I'm going to talk to a college coach for them, I'm going to be brutally honest because at the end of the day, it's also our team and our program's reputation on the line. Um, but I think if there's just that open conversation and, you know, if the college coach can, coaches can help us clearly define what role they want us to play in that, it definitely helps me. Um, and I, like I said, I've had some great conversations with coaches ranging from D1 down to D3. And I think the more information you guys give us as club coaches, the more we can help you as far as getting you those athletes. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Uh, nobody else has uh, anything to chat today? I have a question um, about building toughness uh, for your athletes. Um, like, do you guys like to read books with your athletes or talk specifically before practice about how to attack a set or even a race? Um, I just have been finding a lot with my athletes that, like, there's just this, some, like, kind of fear, like, underlying fear in some of them, and sometimes it kind of comes out in panic attacks or, like, I'm there, there's so many things going on in their lives, but I really want the pool deck to be like a safe place where you can just come and attack and like, and have fun competing. So what kind of things do you guys do to foster that kind of safe environment? And how do you just build mental toughness with your athletes? Uh, I could speak on that a little bit. Um, so my favorite word for my athletes is the word grit. Um, first of all, the, word, the book Grit by Angela Duckworth, definitely recommend, everyone should read it. Um, I'm just always trying to remind my kids that like, you know, there's a big scary step at the same time, like everyone's doing it. You know, one of my core philosophies is that I would never give a kid anything that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. And so again, you know, sometimes again, there'll be a middle of set and I'm just like, I'll just shout you what I want to see right now. They'll just shout back grit. You know, just constantly pounding that home, I think, really went a long way with my group this year. And just that constant positive reinforcement, um, you know, just kind of reminded them, like, they can do this, you know. I had this one kid, you know, kind of, he's come such a long way this year because, you know, at first, you know, he'd be, we'd do a set of, like, maybe, like, 10 100 or something. He'd be backing out after, like, the second or third one. But now that... Again, I've like pulled him aside. I like remind him like, hey, like you can do this. I've seen you do this before. Kind of just that constant reminding him. Now he's one of my toughest kids. So, you know, that's just kind of some things I've done that have worked really, really well with my group. I'm sure a lot of the other coaches in this chat, probably all of them could speak to this as well, but and have their own stories. But that's just kind of my hot take on it. I hope I hope that helps at all. Thanks, Andrew. I think I think Katie. Um it, what's important is like uh, before you're going to have hard sets or before practice or, you know, right before after warm up, you suspend five minutes with them, try to explain to them how the set is going to be in the expectations, you know, 
But the expectations are always, sometimes you can put times and this and that, but also tell them that it's okay if you don't reach those, those expectations as long as you, again, honest with the effort that you give, you know? And, and, and through, what, you know, the whole practice, you cannot expect toughness. But whenever it's a, a good practice time, like a good set, I think you need to be engaged with them. They need to see you, that you're going through the, the set with them. They need to see you cheering. They need to see you pushing. They need to see you having compassion if somebody is not doing it well and trying to solve those problems in, in, during that time. And, and that's the most effective way. You can sit down with them. You can show them a movie. You can give them a book to read. But it's during the real time that I think I see it's more effective. Because you can have... Uh, you know, a, a great set and three of, three of the kids in lane one, lane five, and lane seven are totally having a bad day. Well, how do you recognize that? Maybe pull them out for 30 seconds, sit them down, say, you can do these. Let's change that. Maybe forget about this goal because that creates too much anxiety. Switch it to this and, and, and just be flexible with all that. You know, instead of like writing down a set on, on the board, sitting on one side and every once in a while whistling, go faster, go faster, you know, try to be engaged with them. I think for me it has always worked that, you know, I think it's, you can see the kids care, you know, and, and some other days when you do a very hard set too, and you know, you go to a, a, another kid, you know, to one of the kids that comes out and say, hey, good job. He said, what a coach, Today, I didn't reach any one of the goals that you told me. It's like, I, what did I say? I said, good job, because you, you work very hard, because there's no way today, maybe it was my mistake. There was no way today that maybe you could reach those goals, but it's okay. Instead of waiting a minute, you were in 105, but you were consistent, you were working on your strokes, you were doing this. It was a great day. So those moments are going to teach, those talks are going to teach the kid to keep fighting and to keep being consistent and to keep being like not giving up, you know. Some of the best swimmers that you ever have are the, the slowest trainers because they can't. They can train fast. They're trying, but they can't. Yeah, jumping in on that, um, I always like to talk to my athletes too about, you know, putting them in scenarios where we teach them how to fail first and how to respond to that. And that's going to get them to be tougher. So kind of what Sergio was just talking about too is there's going to be days where you give them a set and they're doing everything they can and you're cheering them on and you're pushing them as hard as you can throughout that practice and they're going to get out and say, I, I couldn't do it today. But then telling them what they did well and, and seeing how they come back the next day and then they're going to try harder that next time. And you know what? Two, three times down the road, they're exceeding the goals you originally set and they're just learning that toughness factor. So I think that's a skill that we also have to work on is just teaching them how to fail and that the response to those situations is more important at, at the end, you know, and coming back from that. And there's going to be a lot of adversity that they face throughout their whole life. And that's one of the biggest life skills I've gotten out of, of sports is learning how to bounce back and how to respond. So I think that's a great way to kind of use it as a tool also. Thanks, Jason. I think, I think one of the things, I'll give you an example. If, sometimes you want to put them in a situation that they're going to crash and fail. And, but you have to tell them, you know, it's like, Hey, we had a very good set today. And now 
we're going to do 200 easy. Let's go 200 easy, for example. And now we're going to come up. We just did a 3,000 set that was very hard. And now you pull them out and say, okay, I do that a lot. A100s fly with fins all out fast on 130. And they're looking at me like, whoa. It's like, hey, this is about to see if you're going to give up or not. I don't care about times. I don't care. We don't give up today. Right now, at this moment, for the, for the next 12 minutes, we're just going to pound this thing, and we're just going to support one another, and we're just going to cheer for one another, and whatever it is. You go 129s because you're dead. You go 129s, but you're going to do eight. And, and, you know, you do it, and at the end of the practice, they're all happy. And sometimes you have a, that plan, and you see that it's not going to happen. Then you give them 200 warm down and send them home. You have to understand when you can push them, and you, you can't. And that's a very important thing. I've noticed too, just to jump on uh, what I think Jason was saying just a second ago, having a culture that embraces failure, I think takes a lot of pressure off of kids. And Sergio was uh, mentioning this too. And um, it's about the effort because if, if someone's paralyzed when they're going up behind the blocks or when they're about to do a set, a lot of times it's because they're afraid they're going to let either you down themselves down they're going to, they don't like the feeling of failing. And so you can cre help create a culture where failing is a good thing because you know that, Hey, if, if we're not failing, our goals aren't big enough and we're never going to grow. And if they have, if they're able to take that mindset to where every time they fail, but they gave their best effort, but they know, okay, this is going to make me better. And if I'm failing, that means I have good goals. Like if you're succeeding at every single thing you do, I'd say your goals are pretty terrible. So um, so failure is going to be a part of that process. And if you can create a culture that embraces failure and turns it into a good thing, I think you're going to have um, some strong, strong athletes because then they won't, they don't need to worry about letting people down because their worth isn't found in their swim times. It's um, much bigger than that. Thanks, Eric. Um, I think, I think practically when you're on deck, when you see it, name it and describe what you're seeing so that the other kids can learn because not everyone knows how to work hard. They might not have seen it in their life. So if you can, when you, whenever you see it happening or it has just happened, you describe to the kids what you saw that athlete doing. And yeah, if some kids haven't had that experience of having discipline or knowing how to apply effort. So what, what I say to kids is, um, well, you saw Katie trying there. She did this, this, and this. Why don't you try that on for yourself? So you try and give them, it's almost like trying on different outfits and see what suits them and what works for them. They might keep one part of the outfit and let another part of the outfit go, but if you can see it, name it, and give them an opportunity to try that on see how it fits them, see if it works for them. Um, that's something that you can actually do poolside and then it gives your squad like a living definition of what hard work or grit looks like. Um, another thing that I like, you know, at the same time that we like our kids to fail, because they do sometimes. I like to have sets that are encouraging and um, I get to know my kids really good uh, in their times that they can do and I have sets that they love. Uh, once in a while I do 20, 50s on a minute on my 10 and unders and uh, 
I kind of give each one, you know, what I know that they are doing good. You know, I might have one that is that's 34 in all of them. And I said, I, I don't want you to let go of that 34 for anything, even if you're dying. And, um, and, uh, and, you know, and then I talk to all of them, you know, and telling them more or less what I know that they're going to be a challenging for them, you know, but they can achieve it. And um, I usually, when I see the first 10 being really good, I stop them at 10 and say, okay, we're going to take a minute break. But we're going to do 200 EC and do the next 10. We've done magnificent on this one. Now, let's challenge ourselves. Can we go lower than this and this one? You know, and, and that gives them that sense, I can do this. You know, she believes I can do it. I can do it. And I have had kids that, at the end of the set said to me, Coach, I did my best time. You know, I did my best time from down here. And I says, I knew you can do that. I just wanted you to know by yourself that you can do it, you know. And uh, I know that everybody battles a lot with kids not watching the, the clock, you know, for their times, you know. And uh, that's one thing that um, I make sure that my kids, you know, every time we're going to do a set that is important for me, I want them to make sure that they're looking at the clock. When they stop, look at the clock. Just yourself, because I try to help you out with it and give you times, but I think it's important that they also get to know. And I have little ones, you know, but, uh, but I think it's, it's, um, it's important that they fail, but it's also important that they see that they can do best times also in practice. You know, that gives them courage. And, and when they see one doing it and somebody says, so in that first set, I did my best time, then everybody, every, everybody else jump on it and said, I can do this. If he can do it, I can do it. So I, you know, and I think the kids fit in your energy, you know, uh, I try always to, I have two practices, you know, and then I, I have 15 minutes in between the first and the second practice. And some days, you know, not everybody's the same, you know, and I know some kids come over, you know, tired from school or whatever, and they're not into it. And, uh, but I know that they fit out of my energy. If my energy is a bit, you know, the kids are a bit, you know, so when do we do the dry line and the stretching and the things, I always try to be, you know, updated and try to make it fun for them. You know, I, I think it's important. And I can see when my energy is down, I can see the energy of the kids is down, you know. So I, I'm, you know, more Adam lately of looking at myself before I go on deck. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much, everybody. That's so helpful. Oh, you're welcome, Katie. Yeah, I was just going to add one more thing. Going off of what Carla was just saying, I, I like that a lot because I think where we were all just talking, and I know it's something we do at different levels about pushing, putting them in situations where they're going to, as we call it, fail. Um, we also have to teach them what it's like to succeed. You know, and there's those kids that may never achieve that level because we're not giving them opportunities to do that in practice. So taking a kid who maybe has always been like, well, I'm always going to be second or third best and setting them up to be the top person in a practice. Well, now how do they respond to that? You know, does that motivate them? Does that motivate their teammates? But I think also looking at putting those kids that always look at themselves as farther down the line into situations that we can control to give them a taste of that success is going to give them a good way to respond to that. Cause I think it's almost scarier to succeed than to fail. Cause then they start having different expectations, whether it's from their teammates in practice, whether it's from their competitors at a meet, you know, and, and preparing them for that. Cause again, it's going to be something that they're going to deal with throughout their whole life, whether it's swimming or, or just life in general. So there's a lot they can get out of those different kinds of environments and practice. Thanks so much. 
Thanks, Jason. I think I think the biggest thing that like you touch uh, right now a little bit on that is that the kids lose ownership of who they are, no matter at what level. Just if they have a little bit of success at whatever level it is, eight and unders, ten and unders, Olympic level, they we lose track of who we are because then, and we, most important, we lose track of why we swim, you know, and you know because. Our parents, our coaches, our uh, teammates, uh, at the higher level, the press, the scholarships, all that stuff. And it's very hard. And as coaches, we need to teach the kids to, to, you know, to take ownership of their swimming. I always tell the swimmers, look, you don't, you don't, think, you don't have to think that you have to do this for me. Swimming is 99% yours, 100% yours, 99% is yours. And 1%... You can share it with your parents, with your friends, with your coaches, or whoever. But 99% of it, it's yours, and nobody can uh, touch that. And that's a very important thing, you know? Because if not, when you, step up, when you step up on the blocks, you have to be able to express yourself. And you cannot express yourself if you have your parents' expectations, your coaches' expectations, and everybody else's expectations on top of you. You can't. So that's a very important thing to do. All right, guys, it's been almost two hours. I'm a little bit tired, you know. I had two hours before, and last night I had two hours with the, with the Southeast Asia people. If you don't mind, uh, we're going to end the meeting. Um, I'm going to try to set up a meeting, if you are guys okay, another meeting for – next Wednesday, if that's okay with you guys, at this at the same time, and maybe we can get into. I, I love these these subjects. I, to me, it, this is how we can grow more than talking about specific things with training. But if you guys, uh, some people have been sending me some topics. You know, you guys want to talk about something. You send me the stuff, but if I don't mention it, you st when there is an open opportunity. Just click the mute and say, let's talk about this. Right? Let's, let's, let's make sure that if we have 100 people in a room or 60 people in a room at a time, not only five talk. You know? there's, yeah, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong that you're going to say. There's nothing wrong that you're going to ask. It's just part of you. That's it. All right, guys. Thanks, Sergio. Appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks. Have a beautiful Thank night. Thank you. Thanks, Sergio. Watch some Netflix. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Thank you, Sergio. You're welcome.